because of what we know, what we've seen, what we've already experienced about God, let's give thanks to God for he is good. Amen. Today, we're going to give thanks to God specifically for the unity that we have as brothers and sisters. Here's the cool part. No matter who you are today, whether you're online or you're in the room, we can give thanks no matter our past, no matter our background, no matter uh, what you even did last night. In Christ, the scripture makes certain that we are one. And I thank God uh, for the unity that we have at FCC. From the example of even the mission trip that we are united in mission to to love God, love people, and to serve all. We, we saw that, the example of that. And, and when God's love is shared with others, they know his grace. Look what Paul says about uh, thanksgiving that comes out of sharing grace. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says this, As God's grace reaches more and more, whether it's across the street or in Mexico, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. That gets me excited. Whenever I see a trip like that, Dee's exactly right. While the house is great, what's amazing is people have received God's grace. And when more people and more people know God's grace, more and more people give glory to God. And, and that's what it's about. And that's why we're united in this effort. And I praise God for what he's done this past week through the mission trip and so much more. I've heard testimony of students loving on students. Teenagers, taking care of teenagers. That, that gets me excited. I've seen evidence of moms helping moms that are going through hard times. I've seen evidence of families who are suffered loss and death of the church family coming alongside of them. I wonder how God has showed you grace that you need to be thankful for today. And sometimes we gloss over it too quickly. But we're to give thanks for he is good. I've seen how you, the church family, has stepped up this week. Last Sunday we announced that the Restore Christmas tree was there uh, over here in the would it be the East Alcove? There was a Christmas tree, and it was the Restore Christmas tree. And there were tags on there you could take off, and then it would give you some indication of to buy uh, pajamas for restored children for Christmas. Uh, foster care children, maybe kids going through an adoption process. And we all wanted them, the Restore Network wanted them to all have pajamas. Guys, in less than two hours, all of those needs were met. And I praise God for that. Great job on that. What's interesting, in the other alcove over here, there's another Christmas tree. It's the Toys for Joy tree. And when we started a, a service uh, at 8.30, there were two more uh, Christmas gifts available to be claimed, and they were gone before the church was done, before the service was done. Once again, you have stepped up to, to share grace because you've received grace. Those children, whether through pajamas or toys, are going to be blessed. Now, if you've taken those, let me ask you to bring those gifts back, Okay. And so they can be honored in that way. Another thing we're doing this Christmas season is providing together food baskets for area families. 300 food baskets will be put together, not just from this church. And I love this about this program. It is from the big church in Bond County. Uh, people who claim Christ, the, the pastors and area churches, get together 300 food baskets to supply needs. And you can contact the sheriff's office if you know someone that need, needs to be put in that program. But uh, you can help us uh, bring peanut butter and jelly in. That is our portion that we're adding to that basket. And I just praise God that the unity of that goes beyond this church, okay, to meet the needs of the area. There's one thing that is probably lagging behind of our response so far, but I know you're going to pull through. We sign up every year to do a lot of ring belling at IGA. Those resources do not go to us at all, but they go to Bond County to meet needs of, of local families in need. So if you could sign up to ring the bell 
with the red bucket at IGA uh, during these times, November 23rd to December 21st. We'd love for you to do that. You can do that right outside the offices on the table there, and we need your help to, to make that happen. I want to slow down for just a moment and say thank you, though. Over the past year and coming out of the last stewardship series, it has become very evident that while programming at times over the last 18 months and involvement and activities have been tested, and, and sometimes they've even been put on the, 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 the burner, but they've been you know, just put to the side, your faithfulness and your generosity has not been put on the side. And the church family and our ability to do missions has actually increased at times. Many of you most recently have accepted a new step of faith, a challenge for generosity you've never done before. Uh, many of you uh, picked up a, a generosity challenge card uh, during the last sermon series about too much. And here's what's cool. 25, I'm going to get this right, 25 individuals or families, because we don't know who turned these cards in. You, we don't ask anyone to sign that. But 25 unique cards were turned in says, I want to tithe or give for the very first time ever in my life. And I want to praise God for that. that is, that's an amazing step of faith. Here's what's really cool. 15 different units have said, I want to, for the first time, uh, many of them saying, I want to give beyond a tithe for the first time ever. So this is, they're saying, hey, I've been tithing probably. Uh, 10% of everything that I have is going back to God. And I'm going to even do more than that. 15 people identified that. That is amazing. I just praise God for that. Let's praise God for that. I want to share one story that came out of that. Most of, uh, all but one card, I have no idea what I was connected to, but this family had had a miracle happen already. Uh, it's a young couple who's been married about two years, and they had not committed to God or to one another what they were going to do with their finances according to giving. They just hadn't got there yet. You know, I know they serve and I know they're faithful people, but I don't know the details. That's not even for me to know. But as we were going through this series, they began to talk. You know, we should probably make some level of commitment to, to one another to be on the same page. But most importantly, before God, what, what are we going to do? And they're like, I don't know. Are we going to say we're going to give uh, X amount each week or, or this or that? Or are we going to commit to tithing? And they began to, to talk about maybe tithing, giving 10% of all they have back to God. And that's uncomfortable. If you've never come to that moment, are we committing to do this or not? It is hard to, to, to take that step of faith for most humans. If you, if you have done that easily, praise God for your step of faith. But they struggled with this. There was some stress. There was some anxiety. But after a couple of weeks in prayer and discussion, they were led to make a commitment. I didn't know their name. I didn't know any of that. They put it in the card. About five days ago, they shared with me an email that on Sunday night they made that commitment. The next Monday, as they both headed off to work at different jobs in different cities, before lunch, both of them were surprised from their, um, their advisor, their, uh, their boss at work, that they had received an unexpected raise on that Monday morning, each of them. And they were giving thanks to what God has done. Does that mean every time I'm going to take a statement, of, a statement of faith and commit to something financially that I'm going to be blessed financially? That is not what it means. But what I know is true when God says, test me in the tithe and see that if you don't bring the whole tithe before me, God says, I will pour open the floodgates for you. It may be financially, it may be based on relationships, it may be based on a lot of things. But what I've learned, and they're an example of this, you cannot outgive God when you faithfully trust him. And I just want to celebrate this young couple statement of faith and their growing faith to honor God. Let's give God glory for that.
God is so good. And I pray that as you take steps of faith over uh, your lifetime, that God would receive glory and that your faith would grow. Today, we want to share with you our plan for the resources God blesses the church. We do this every year. We desire to be a church that's transparent with the giving that you offer to the church. So we've developed a, a spending plan or resource plan for 2022. It's called a budget. The elders, the staff, and the administration team work on that for about a month. We pray over that. We look at the past. And today, Nathan Andrews is going to come and share where we landed for 2022. Thanks, Nathan. Oh, by the way, you can see in the budget our red shirts that match for the whole staff. Uh, that's a part of the budget. No, it's not really. But We're the only it. two who got the memo. Yeah. Okay. Uh, first of all, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Uh, Tyson's already said that. I just want to reiterate that. Uh, over the last two years of uncertainty, you've remained faithful in your generosity, and I just want to acknowledge that and celebrate that. For the last two years, uh, we've had a budget of $1.3 million, and each of those years, our income was between $1.2 million, $1.3 And so each of those years, we were able to keep our expenses uh, below our income, which is a good thing. We like it when that happens. But this year, we set out to do a budget of $1.2 million. And so there's a slide that'll come up for you to be able to see how all of that has been allocated. And there's three things I want to point out in this. The first one is our facilities budget is pretty low considering the facilities that we have here. And that's because we're debt free. And that's something uh, that's a blessing for sure. It allows us to give more money to missions and put more money into ministry. So that's a great thing. The second thing is the missions budget itself. So we decreased our budget by $100,000 from last year, or from this year to next year, but we didn't take a single penny out of the missions budget. So the missions budget's staying the same for 2021 and 2022. Um, so none of the money came out of that. And even with that, we still have 5% that we're able to put into a contingency fund. And so that's just planning for the unexpected. A lot of the times that's related to facilities, not always, it doesn't have to be. Uh, but it's something that we hope we don't have to spend. And if we don't, then we can set that aside into a savings account and have that ready for whatever God has in store for us next, which may be connected to something um, that we're working on with a three-year planning right now. You'll hear more about that in 2022. Um, but if you've got any questions on this, any of the finances, anything we talked about, I'd be more than happy to answer any questions that you've got. Find me after service, shoot me an email, whatever works best for you, and I'd be happy to discuss it. Thank you, Nathan. I want to th say thank you to the staff. The staff uh, really worked hard on their individual budgets this year, uh, the administration team and the elders. Nathan and I were talking about this dilemma. Hey, this is the first year uh, that I've ever been involved in ministry where we have had our budget decrease from the previous year. But we want to do that to have a balanced budget, to be realistic about where we've been at the last two years. As soon as we've done this and did this in good faith and trying to honor everything that God's done, Nathan and I began to realize that it is very possible that this year, through your generosity, we actually hit $1.3 million, and that will go above and beyond what we need, and we promise to put it to work for God's kingdom the best of our ability. But isn't it ironic and amazing, and God works, when we're as faithful as we can, he honors those decisions. So would you just continue to let God lead you in that way, and uh, we'll continue to be transparent about what's, what's going on with that. Uh, so thank you again for all that. We, we thank you for helping carry on the vision. The hope changed everything to share that with the world. I saw the vision uh, come to light this week as people face death. Uh, Glenn Corbis passed away just recently. And uh, I think it was Monday, I went over to the house. And before I could even have a chance to minister to Ruby, her, uh, her husband just passed away. I gave her a hug. 
And she declared that she had great hope and, uh, and belief in the future of her seeing Glenn, her husband, again through Jesus Christ in heaven. And that's what we're talking about, that hope of, of, that we can share in heaven. Uh, and then uh, this past week, Frank Hockett passed away. And in a, a few moments, as I shared with him, as he was transitioning in life, you should have seen the, the, the peace that came over him as we began to pray about the hope he has in Jesus because he gave his life to him and was made new in baptism. Uh, both of those families, both of those great tragic experiences this week with death were not overcome because they have hope in Jesus. And that's what it's about. They're not just people in our church family we know, that people that we don't know would find that hope as well. That's our vision. Last week we talked about receiving God's grace and, and we're saved by grace through faith and it's empowered by the resurrection. But then this week I ask you, how, do we, how are we supposed to live? Our Core 52 content for this week is, is all about unity. We, we've, we've sung about it, we've shared about it this morning, we, we experienced it in communion. But how do we live out unity in, daily, in our daily lives? Paul tells us, he gives us great insight. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. If you've got a Bible around you and you want to follow along, we're going to be in chapter 4 the entire day. It's on page 977 if you've got a Bible that you can grab in your pew or under your chair. Paul is elevating some 2,000 years ago that we need to be unified as brothers and sisters. He pleads with the church through this letter. He says, I urge you, I beg you, I plead with you to be unified, to grow in, in, as one together. Guys, in 2021, this is the strongest urge I've ever heard to plead with you, whether you're online or you're right here in the room. Be unified because our world is divided. Satan is having a heyday right now with us being divided on this matter or this matter that we don't see in Scripture, and he is pulling us apart at times in families in neighbors, in marriages, and yes, most certainly the church. So listen to these words of Paul. The whole book of Ephesians is based on the church. And in Ephesians 4, he says, man, be unified, be, be built up together. Look what he says. He says, therefore, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord. I love this right here. He's saying, hey, I'm not a prisoner just to the government. He says, I've really, uh, God has allowed me for this time to be in prison because I'm doing something for him. He says, I urge you to walk in the manner worthy of the calling in which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Notice Paul says, be eager to maintain the unity. He says, if there's something that you're fired up about, if something you set to, uh, to, to keep going it is unity, uh, pursue it, work at it. Guys, I want you to know some of the things we're going to talk about today are not some of the easier matters of our faith. But Paul says we've got to maintain the unity we've been given. How? I love it. It just tells us, he says, walk worthy. Walk worthy. The idea of worthy around this time would have been understood that, that it would be a balancing of, of values, of something of value that you would be able to balance it out. Paul is saying here, that have your walk to be worthy of the walk of Jesus. That it would balance out on the scales of life. And here, Jesus' worth is so much that we need to be very careful what we put in our lives and live out so that we would have some uh, uh, connection to the value of Christ's life. Look what it says in 1 John 2. It says, whoever says he abides, he's talking about Christ, in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That we should have a life that, that is worthy of Christ's life. And that's hard. In fact, honestly, it's impossible 
They have the exact walk that Christ had because he's perfect and I'm not, you're not. But that's what we strive to maintain, to walk worthy. But how? He gives us some great advice. He says, first, walk humbly. So in next time you're divided, next time you're in an argument, ask yourself, have I entered into this conversation, this debate with a humble spirit? Or have I come here proud, knowing it all? Because time and time again, if we want to walk like Christ, we're going to walk humbly. All throughout the New Testament, we see Jesus having ultimate authority, ultimate power, but he never devalues that power, and yet he serves the lowest of the low, the, the, the people that most people walk away from. That's the type of people we're supposed to be as brothers and sisters in Christ. That While we come into a situation and we're connected with the body already, that we would get down and serve anyone in humility. Right now, if you have a strained relationship, are you offering humility to that relationship? Are you prideful? Wanting to prove a point that you know better than the other person. I will check myself often because there are relationship struggles all throughout the world. Ask yourself, am I coming into this humbly? Especially with your children, your parents, your administrators, maybe your pastor, maybe your fellow brother, sister in Christ. Secondly, he says, walk gently. And we understand that word, that gentle word. Uh, it is often translated, the same Greek word is translated as be meek or meekness. And a lot of times we're like, I, I, I can try to be humble, but I'm not going to be meek because we connect meek with weak. And it's not. Uh, the, the overall concept here of this word that's translated gentle or meek is a, of a horse, a great thoroughbred with power and speed. And yet it is in complete control of, by the rider. It is completely submissive to the one who is their leader, which for us is Christ. What it means is it's power under control. Thirdly, he says, walk patiently. It's this idea of having a long temper, being long-tempered. Uh, we, we often think about this. Uh, we say, well, they're short-tempered, and, and that's why I can't get along with them. They're so short-tempered. How often does anybody identify that that person's long-tempered? That's what the scripture's saying, that, that we're to be long-tempered people. It's this idea, instead of having a real short fuse before we blow up and, and, and uh, explode on someone relationally, that we would have a long fuse. That really spoke to me whenever I read that this week. I am a person that enjoys uh, fireworks, especially firecrackers. And the older I get, the more I appreciate a longer fuse, Okay. Because at a young age, man, I would, just, I would be working with that stuff and it would, I would just, just light it and whatever happens, happens. Now I've realized having a few blow up in my face, I want to get away from that thing. How many times are we as Christians, uh, we're like that person that's short fused. Somebody comes into a relationship with us, contact with us, things don't go so well, and we blow up and we make a mess of things. Paul here is saying, be patient. Ha have a long fuse when it comes to debate, when it comes to division. And he summarized this by saying, bearing with one another in love. This idea of bearing with one another, those people you're around right now, it's going to take work. Bearing with one another has this idea that you're going to wrestle with this. You're going to work it out. That You're going to be eager to maintain a relationship, even especially when you don't see eye to eye. He says, be eager to maintain this in love. To maintain What? to maintain what God has already done for us. Here, here's the cool part. We do not have to create unity among us as a church family. 
If we did, no church would really exist for very long at all. We would make it about carpet color. We'd make it about songs. We'd make it about all these things. But our unity is already formed because of what Christ has done. And he's going to share with us seven uh, key things of our faith that, that are our anchor for core unity. Because here's what's going to happen. If we don't focus on these seven things, we're all going to have things come up in our minds and say, I identify this as not what I like, and I'm done with this situation. I'm no longer in relationship with this guy. Uh, she is out because she did this to me. And, and if we focus on these things that are not essential, we will all walk away from one another at some point, including our spouses and our families. But Paul says as church, we need to focus on these seven fundamental spiritual realities of our faith. Look what it says. Look to verse 4 of chapter 4. He says, There is one body, that's the first one, one spirit, just as we were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There are seven powerful, packed uh, principles of our faith right there that Paul says, hey, this is, this is what grounds us. This is what puts us in unity from the beginning. You don't have to build it. It's been built for you. So strengthen it. Make sure that you are unified on these matters. First of all, it's the one body. There is one true church in the world. There are certain denominations that have claimed they're the one true church. Uh, one of the fundamentals of our faith in this movement is uh, we are not the only Christians, but we are Christians only. There are movements and denominations say uh, we are the one true church, and if you even want to participate in communion, you have to join this church. Guys, uh, the scripture says here that there is one true church, and it is an only uh, deciphered by if they are saved by Christ. There's no one that comes to the Father except through him. True, uh, the true church is based on Christ. Look what it says in Romans 12. So we, though are many, man, that, that should be enlightening. There are many people who claim Christ. So we, though many, are one body in what? What does it say? In Christ. And individually members of one another. We belong to one another. This is why Paul says later in Scripture, the eye can't say to the foot, because I'm not a foot, I'm not a part of the body. No, we're, we're many and we are part of one body because of Christ. The metaphor of the body is beautiful. There are many parts, but there is one Christ under the one body, and he is the head. Christ is our head. There's also one spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches often that the Holy Spirit is a unifying factor. I think today as we read the entire chapter, the Holy Spirit and the gifts it's offered and the fruit of the Spirit is the key to unity. We need to do a better job. I'm saying this from my own personal experience and even as your pastor. We need to do a better job appreciating the Spirit's unifying factor among us. We are one church under Christ, but the Spirit often unites us. And be open to what the Spirit does. Recently, in our deeper dive on Wednesday night, we talked about this. We need to do a better job of understanding and let the Holy Spirit empower our lives, our marriages, what we do at work, our prayers, our worship. The Holy Spirit is always pointing to Jesus, and there's one Spirit. Look what it says in Romans 8. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Be open to the Spirit, because if the Spirit is not in you, you don't belong to him. Also, look at, there's one hope. It's the hope of eternal life in heaven. Look what the scripture says. It says, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us a new birth in a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. 
This inheritance is kept for, in heaven for you. Man, this is beautiful. What we have in Christ, our hope is uh, kept for us in heaven and no one can take it away. No one can make it perish. It will never spoil. It will never fade and we can be confident there. Our hope is not a wishful thinking. Our hope is confident that someday we will be with Christ and we'll be with the body, those who believe in him. That's our hope. And yet so often we're like, well, I can't worship this person because they, they like these type of songs. Uh, I know they have a stance about their... Uh, their politics that is different than mine, their left or the right. I know they believe differently about something in the, in the current uh, uh, COVID recommendations. They are different than me, and I can't stand to, to worship with them. We need to be careful of those statements. Because if they're in Christ and you're in Christ, there will be a day you not only will worship with them, you'll live beside them in heaven. So we need to be comfortable worshiping together now on earth. Will there be moments where we uh, do things differently? Absolutely, but let's not declare that I am no longer part of those people because they're claiming Christ. And if you're claiming Christ, our hope is together in heaven because there's one Lord. It says that Christ is this one Savior. I love when the Bible just makes it super simple. It says there's one Lord. Well, who is it? Jesus Christ. Through him all things were created and through whom we live. This Jesus Christ is most certainly our Savior, our Lord, and the head of the, the church. We're going to talk a little bit in a, just a moment about shepherds or elders. They are the leaders. They're my boss. If you wonder if Tyson has a boss, absolutely. They're the elders. In fact, it took a while for my boys to get this through their minds growing up. You know, when they were uh, kindergarten age, first, second grade, um, the elders were not at church very much, especially when they were awake. We had elders meetings when they were asleep. The boys would come to church. They could walk to church. They'd be like, Dad, uh, who really runs the church? You know, and I'm like, they didn't really have a great answer for them. They, they thought it was me. They said, Dad, aren't you really the boss of the church? I was like, no, your mom is really the boss of the church. She's the one who decides all these things. But then I would tell them, no, the elders are my boss. But Christ is our head. And the same is the truth here. Christ is the head of the church. The elders are our shepherds. I am a, a, a pastor. We have a staff. But Christ is the head. He's our Lord. There's one faith. And our faith is in Jesus. Look what Scripture says. For we are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. There's a theme here. It's in Christ. It's through Christ. There's also one baptism. And baptism is a great unifying thing that we participate in. There's one baptism. Uh, uh, I was so amazed to think Frank Haku just passed away. He was baptized in his early 80s here. That is an amazing testimony. I thought Frank had been baptized since he was a child. Uh, his daughter said, no, Frank was baptized by Daryl uh, just about five years ago. And, and in that, Frank united not only with this church uh, locally, but he's now united with the kingdom of God eternally forever. Baptism unites us, not only together, more importantly, baptism unites us with Christ and his death. In Romans chapter 6, it says, when you're buried with Christ in baptism, in immersion, you are joined, you're united in his death. And he says, if you've united with him in his death, you most certainly will unite with him in his resurrection. Baptism is a great uh, uniter of our faith spiritually and our camaraderie as brothers and sisters. So let me ask you, what, what's keeping you from taking that step? Look what it says in Colossians 2. For you were buried with Christ in baptism. He makes it claim. You're not buried with just a group of people. You're buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to a new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. 
So once you take that step, there will be a day you probably won't make it as long as Frank did. Frank passed away in his late 80s. And I was so thankful that Frank united with Christ. It was amazing to hear he did it in his early 80s. But if you pass and there's no, uh, for me as a pastor to know that you never united with Christ, you never claimed him as your Lord, I will be heartbroken. Your family will be heartbroken. But you know what peace and joy comes when we can declare, uh, there was a witness to this person declaring Christ their Lord. I saw them unite with his death and his resurrection. That really is a blessing to us. But more importantly, it unites you with your heavenly father forever in heaven. So have you done that? Paul, the apostle Paul, was feeling like he couldn't unite with the church. You know why? Because he tried to kill the church for years. The apostle Paul was formerly known as Saul, and on his command, he saw people stoned. On his command, uh, he tortured Christians. And so whenever Christ came to him and, he, he, and, and Christ uh, changed his heart, he's like, I don't know if the church will accept me. I don't know if they'll be able to unite with me. And here's what Ananias told Paul in Acts chapter 22. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name, the name of Jesus. None of us have the same story as Saul and Paul. And yet Paul came to a point where he was baptized, where he was made new in that. It's a great uniter because we are all under one God. The last thing it says here, we're, we have one God. Look at the passage. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So a lot of the same concept. But here the scriptures are highlighting the fact that we have a God and the Father who has blessed us into his family through Christ. I wonder if you've accepted that blessing. I wonder if you know that foundation. Those are the seven things that, that we need to make sure we're, we're connected on, that we're unified by. But here's what's interesting. We are not asking for everyone to look the same. Unity, hear this, does not mean conformity. Our world thinks, well, if you're going to be a part of this movement, you got to all look the same. It's scary how so many movements look the same on social media. They, they start eating the same things. They start dressing the same way. Nathan and I in no way form are stressing conformity by red button-down shirts, okay? In fact, I'm thankful there's not many else in the room. Unity in Christ does not change who we are. We are different, and I celebrate the fact that we are different as brothers and sisters in Christ. And one of the biggest ways we're different, we're gifted different. The Holy Spirit makes us different. We were created different. The Holy Spirit makes us different. We need to celebrate our differences. There's great unity and diversity under Christ. Look back to the text. Look for the diversity that it talks about. It says, but, he says, man, be unified, but then these changes. But grace was given to each of you according to the measure of Christ's gifts. He says, okay, you're to be unified in these things, but you're different. Therefore, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. So here's what he's saying. Christ ascended into heaven. Now he's giving gifts. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that also descended in the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he may fill all things. Look what it says. And he gave. A lot of times we think he gave people gifts. No, look at the gifts. It says he gave the apostles. What did he give? He gave apostles. He didn't give the apostles gifts. He gave apostles. He gave prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. He gave them to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all obtain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, 
to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He says, I want you to balance out and be, become worthy of the Christ. So I gave the church great blessings so that you could be unified. Verse 14, so that you no longer be like children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we all grow up into every way into him who's the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, we're all different, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And that's loaded, beautiful picture of the church being different, but one in Christ. So that we're no longer deceived by the world and the schemes of the world and the cunning uh, craftiness of, of, of doctrine that's false. But I want you to see, before he mentions that we all have different gifts, he gave the church something. And it wasn't gifts that we possess. He gave the church people. It says he gave the church apostles, evangelists. He gave the church uh, prophets, shepherds, and teachers. I wonder how many of you have ever known an evangelist? See one in the back of the room, Dallas, raise your hand, he's back there. He's an evangelist. Many of you are evangelists. Sometimes we think a, a pastor has to be, an evangelist has to be somebody that's, that's ordained officially by the church. Guys, evangelists can be anyone that, that dedicates their life to sharing the gospel, and that's some of you. I spoke of another evangelist recently. Uh, Frank Hawke was baptized by Daryl Boland. Daryl was an evangelist of Bond County. He was a pastor of Bond County. If you have ever led someone to Christ and you baptize them, it's very likely you're an evangelist. Many of you have done that to your children. Who, who should be the greatest evangelist of your children? The parents, the grandparents. Evangelists have been blessed to the church. It's not a gift. It is actually people. So many of you, just raise your hand if you've ever shared the gospel with someone. You're a gift to the church. Raise your hand if you've ever shared the gospel. You, you are a gift to the church. And he also says, hey, there are shepherds. The word here, shepherd, in the Greek is interchangeable with our word that we understand more commonly as elder. They're overseers, they're protectors, they are shepherds of the church. Uh, they are uh, the people that, that we entrust to make decisions based on doctrine. God appoints them. They don't earn that. Uh, God allows them to lead. And this church has been blessed with elders over the years. Almost 150 years of, of great elders. And he says, you know what elders are? They're a gift to the church. So next time you're thinking about an elder and the first thing that comes to your mind, I can't believe they made that decision. I can't believe they did that. Uh, if they only knowed what Tice was doing, man, they'd probably really be fired up about that. Uh, before you jump to conclusion with the elder, step back and say, that person, based on the word of God, is a gift to the church. Doesn't that make sense? They are a gift to you. Are they perfect? No. But are they a gift that we need to cherish and thank, give God thanks for? Yes. So if you are an elder, I'm going to take you uh, uh, one step further than this. If you've ever been an elder of this church, whether it was for a year or you did a 20-year term at some point back in the day, would you stand up if you've ever been an elder of this church? Because we're thankful for you. Would you stand up? I know some of you are in the room. Praise God for these elders. In just a little bit, Brian's going to say it's time to, to be praying for new elders. Uh, we do make a, a, it's part of our bylaws that an elder would serve two terms and they have to step off for a while for their own refreshing. 
And so right now we are looking that you and God would lead us to, uh, to endorse some new elders in the coming year. So be praying about that. There's another thing, though. It says also that God gives the church teachers. Teachers are a gift. So consider this. I'm going to have you stand in just a moment. If you've ever taught anything, whether it's vacation Bible school, a Sunday school class, you've taught here from this pulpit, or maybe you've taught here about God's Word, or you have taught through a special program on Wednesday night or, or Saturday morning, you have been a blessing to this church, and you are a gift, and we need to praise God for you. So if you've ever taught uh, the word of God uh, about Jesus here. Would you please stand? We want to celebrate you, men and women, young and old. Pr- please stand. Praise God for that. Thank you. I don't know if you noticed that this church is full of teachers, and you're a gift. Now you may be like, well, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a prophet. I'm. I'm I'm not a teacher. Uh, The scripture goes on to say that each of us have been given a gift. And when we use that gift, you know what you are? You become a gift to the church. So if you've ever used your gift, you're a gift. And yet we often, instead of looking at people, each other like a gift, you know what we usually say? Well, they're not like me and I'm done with that. And Paul says this, the hand cannot say to the foot, I'm not a foot, so I'm done with you. And yet that's what we're doing in churches across the nation today. We're different in some ways, and we're done. And Paul says, in your differences, you need to understand you're still a gift, and we need to praise God for each other. We can no longer say, well, they're a little different than me. I'm done. We can't say, well, they have a different idea than me, a different political uh, slant than me. I'm done. Uh, We can't say, I I don't like what they did about that. I'm done. We can't say, I don't want to be around a person that believes that way, and if it has nothing to do with the Bible, we're done. That's wrong. We need each other and we're gifts to one another. Amen? Amen. Paul says, I urge you to pursue unity. Guys, one of my greatest urges to you after accepting Christ your Savior is to continue to stay unified because Satan is loving the idea that he would divide us and then overcome us. One of the most intimate challenges of unity comes to husbands and wives. And while we're blessed to have a relationship with each other's brothers and sisters, the relationship of husband and wife mimics the relationship that Christ and the church have, the bride and the groom. And Paul tells us in Scripture that if you are married, be very careful that you're not divided very long because Satan will come in and tempt you in that division. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Do not deprive each other. You could also probably translate this, don't become divided very long or separated. Don't deprive each other except for perhaps for mutual consent for a time. What he's basically saying is don't withhold sexual relationships, that full intimacy from one another. Make sure you don't deprive each other the blessing of one another. He says so that you can devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of lack of self-control. Paul knows this is very important for a marriage that we can't be divided very long or Satan's going to get his hooks in us. I think we can take the same principle and a little lesser value into the church. Make sure you don't divide from the church very long or Satan's going to be able to continue to get his hooks in you and pull you apart. You're like, oh, that's not really what's talking about. Well, look what Peter says in 1 Peter 5. He says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy. Satan is huge. The devil He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember your family, the the big church around the world and all believers all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. He says, know that Satan is trying trying to see who he can 
pull out of the church and get a little bit uh, on their own so he can devour them. And you're like, well, that's talking about non-believers. It's not. Peter here in 1 Peter is talking about the church, people that are saved. He says, be very careful that the family of God is always being tempted to to divide itself and and to be pulled away. At that moment, Satan is going to try to devour us. He says, be alert. Satan has no greater plan that I know of than to pull us apart one by one and devour us. So that's why we have to stay alert. Guys, it's been the same strategy for a long time. And we need to wake up. And his, his ability to utilize a divided nation, divided families, divided churches, he's loving it. I think you can see it in the illustration of this circle of life that we're going to watch with a real lion. Scripture says Satan is like a roaring lion. Just watch what lions love to do to overcome their prey. Watch this clip. The day's attack begins with the flanks trying to maneuver close. They will try to separate a lone buffalo from its herd. There is no margin for error. rest of the pride keeps the loner busy, working together to tire him out. Before he knows it, he is surrounded. The center moves in for the kill, but bringing him down requires the extra 100-pound bulk of one of the big males. Buffalo will take several minutes to throttle. But even the herd knows it's over. It's heartbreaking to watch that. If you have appreciation of life, there's a part of me that didn't want to show that because it's it's uncomfortable, it's it's intense. But lions for Centuries from the beginning of time have loved to pull the herd apart and then attack the one by distractions, by making them tired, by just picking them apart. And guys, it's happened in the church. It's happened for years, but I think it's intensifying. And you may be one of those people that kind of have been divided. Maybe you're online. You're like, man, I don't know if I fit in anymore. And you're divided and you feel like you're becoming tired and you feel tested. Know that you're loved. And for us, the herd who have watched them kind of go off on the fringes, it it is our responsibility to let them know they're loved and they're welcome in a moment. And we need to pursue them outside of the building and inside the building. Because while it's a tragic scene to see that buffalo overwhelmed, guys, it's happening to souls. It's happening spiritually. And it will continue to happen until Christ returns, unless we do something about it. So know that we are united on the core truths and we are going to be different on a lot of other things. But Christ is the one that saves us and he's the one that, only one that can unite us. 
It just came to me as I watched it probably for the fifth time. Did you know which buffalo got overwhelmed? Probably the biggest bull in the herd. It's probably because he got cocky and went off on his own. No one is immune to being overwhelmed when you're alone. No one is immune to being overwhelmed when you're alone. So stay united. And it's one of the greatest blessings of the movement, of the Christianity, of the faith. Because in Christ, we have a great hope that no one can take away. Today, maybe you want to join this family. Maybe you're a believer and you're like, I, I want to be all on board. I want people to know that I've got their back and, and they've got mine. Maybe you've realized you've never been united with Christ in his death and resurrection. You want to be baptized. Maybe you want to call on his name and we can do that together even in the song. So would you stand with me? Whatever decision you have, whatever you want to pray about, please come forward. And know that in Christ, we are family. We're brothers and sisters. Father in heaven, I thank you for today. Help us not to take this lightly that we have a great enemy. And he so much wants to divide us, but we are united in the truths of you being the one Father, the one Son, and the one Holy Spirit. Help us to honor you now. In Jesus' name, amen.